Brad. Appreciate that. It's good to see everybody from Mars Hill. Actually, we can't see you. We wish we could see you. We miss all of you, and um, I know that that's one of the things that uh, you guys have probably heard from texts and calls. As we check on the church, the number one thing I keep hearing is we miss being together, yeah. and um, I'm, I'm grateful for that because maybe that's one of the... I think Anthony just fell over his piano in the Sounds back. Sounds like that. Yep. Uh, I think that's one of the, the healthy byproducts of all of this is there's a, a longing to be together. I was re- reading uh, Life Together this week by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he talks about the longing that, that we should have for one another, but we don't have that longing because we take it for granted mm-hmm. that we can gather together. And he said it should not be taken for granted that we have the grace and privilege to gather as a community and so we should thank God for that grace and privilege. And so I hope and I pray that that's what happens and that there's created in this a longing to be together uh, and, and that when we get back together, we stay a little longer, we open up a little bit more, we enjoy the embrace and the friendship and the, and the community that we have. Uh, so we're, uh, we're going to be celebrating Mother's Day a little bit uniquely next week. We're going to recognize our mothers. We want to uh, recognize our mothers. And next weekend... Um, we would love for you to send us uh, some pictures of yourself, your children. Um, uh, you can send that to hello at pmh.org uh, by, by Thursday. Uh, and we want to recognize all of the mothers in our church family. And we recognize that motherhood looks differently. Uh, so motherhood may be uh, your mother of, of two or three or five. Uh, we also recognize that maybe motherhood and and Mother's Day is a time of loss. It's a remembering of of mothers that we've lost. Uh, That's that's partly what it is for me as well. And so uh, there are also mothers that are longing to be mothers and and, and mothers who've lost as well. And so uh, if you want to recognize maybe a a mother that you've lost or maybe um, some way of expressing the longing of your own heart, we would love to recognize that next Sunday. Uh, And so if you would send that to us this week by Thursday, that'd be great. Uh, we're in John 14, 25 to 31, Brad, and uh, we're going to read that <laughs> here in just a minute, study that in just a minute. Jack, do you mind uh, praying for us yeah, this morning? Yeah, let's pray. God, we just come to you um, humbly and yet boldly because of the cross and because of the empty tomb and because of what you've given to us through adoption as children and you've called us saints. So we come boldly before the throne and we just ask that, number one, Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten us as we break open your word. God, I pray that you would make those words come alive to each one of us, not just to the point of understanding, but to the point of application, that we live differently, that we appreciate, that we love differently because of how we understand the truth, how we understand the gospel and how it impacts our lives. God, we are mindful that so many people are hurting right now, um, even as we see uh, somewhat of a, the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel with all that we've been going through. Uh, Lord, there is still the chaos that exists in so many people's lives with bills that need to be paid, with jobs that they're unsure of, and with just things that they are uncertain about. Uh, I pray that, number one, that you would give us a sense of peace that comes from you, the Prince of Peace, a peace that passes all understanding, just as our passage will point to today. And God, I just pray that that peace would be real, not just some uh, figurative type of thing, but something that is substantial, something that we can feel, that we sense, that guides us, Lord, that allows us to live in the midst of chaos with the assurance that everything is under control through you. 
God, we thank you for that assurance. We thank you for your word that you've given to us. We celebrate it. We rejoice in it because it becomes the foundation of what we believe and it's the promises that we stand on. So again, Lord, as we come together, we see you as the one who takes care of us, who provides for us. And Holy Spirit, we ask even now that you would enlighten us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our sovereign Lord. Amen. Amen. So we're in uh, John 14, 25 to 31. Um, we're transitioning. Last week we looked at uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and now Jesus gives us several other promises and assurances in this text. Uh, and so, Jack, why don't you start with 25 and help us understand what's going on here? Okay, so when, when we start off with 25, we have to understand that it is a continuation from what's happening previously. It's hard to remove it. You know, we are at the uh, disadvantage of only covering so much per week because of time constraints, but it's hard to remove what we're about to say this week from what he's already kind of laid out for them last week. He introduced that idea of the helper that comes and he's reminding them again of the chaos that's gonna be right before them. They're not gonna understand it, there's no way, but on the other side of it, he's the one that's gonna make sense. So the things that he's saying, he's saying in preparation for them to come back to this truth and to understand this truth, uh, in a more profound way. And he continues that really in verse 25. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. In other words, while we're all t still together, I want to, to me, the way I see this is I want to create some waypoints for you. As you struggle through this, I'm saying some things that you're not going to fully understand, but there's a time coming when you're going to look back and the Holy Spirit is going to allow you to remember these things. And this is going to become the foundation, not only of your belief and the solidarity of your belief, but also as this passage portrays for us, it's going to become your sense of peace in the midst of chaos. And uh, verse 26 kind of continues that idea, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, I think this is profound because in essence, Jesus here is um, really beginning to give the authority for the New Testament because he's saying that all, it's not what you're going to come up with creatively. The Holy Spirit's not going to come and say, you know, what? I'm going to give you some creativity of how you interpret Jesus' life. No, you're going to remember the things I said to you, mm -hmm. how the Holy Spirit. And then what are they, these guys going to do but write these things down? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's what we have as the New Testament is this profound word that these guys who are in the midst of chaos, in the midst of darkness, yet because of the light of the gospel and because of the redemption of Christ, they are brought forth from their ignorance into enlightenment and not only did they go from ignorance to enlightenment, they literally pen the divine words of the New Testament that become the foundation of why we believe. And I think that's so, something that's easy to pass over right there, but it is very profound for what we believe and what we understand about the Holy Spirit. Number one, I think, too, is, is the authority of Scripture. No, we can't add to it. It's not what we think. It's not us being creative. It is what the Word of God is. It's what Jesus taught them, and it's what they recalled through the Holy Spirit. But again, it reminds us of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to each one of us. Yeah. He recalls for us the things that Jesus has said and did as we walk through the tragedies of life, as we walk through the triumphs of life, whatever it may be. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts, that brings to mind promises that when we begin to maybe falter in our faith or maybe begin to doubt. It's the Holy Spirit who brings these things to mind so that we can stand more firmly on, on the Word of God. Um, it's good. I, I think it's really important to underline um, that God is always the one who teaches mm -hmm. the truth. Um, 
there might be different media, there might be different ways that that come to you, whether that be through scripture, or preaching, or teaching. Um, but even as we preach and teach, which is one of the roles that this church has gifted us to steward, we're just lowercase t and lowercase p teachers and preachers. The capital case T and capital case P teacher and preacher is the Holy Spirit. Um, you see that all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, God, when he commands Moses to go into the people, he says, I'm going to be with your mouth, and I'm going to tell you what to say, yeah. <laughs> right? Peter says that no prophet ever spoke w without the Holy Spirit, uh, and then Paul reminds us all, all, all scripture is, is God-breathed. And later so, in Acts, they're not going to have to worry about what they're going to say when yeah. they're before rulers and authorities because yeah. the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. Yeah. So it is. It's a, it's a profound authority statement, like you're saying. But I think it, the, you know, I've, I've gone through school. I've taught. Um, how much do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> right? And like one of the prayers you have at, the, at, at the, your final exam for the Hail Mary is like, God, just help me bring to remembrance everything that I've learned. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like that cliche prayer. But this is, that, that's, not like a, that's not like something we're grasping for. This is a, literally a promise that Jesus tells us. He will. Part of his role and his responsibility is to bring to memory the things that you've been taught. Which, uh, when, when I read that, if I'm thinking I'm like a first century Jew, um, you know, one of the things that Israel was commanded was to remember the covenants and laws of God and to put them into practice. But what do we see all throughout the Old Testament? is a failure to remember over and over and over again. And with a failure to remember, there's a failure to obey. Mm -hmm. And so this, this goes deeper than just a, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit's not Google, you know, he's, he's not gonna like, uh, you know, how do I obey in this temptation? You know what I yeah. mean? What he's saying is uh, where Israel stumbled and fell because they continually forgot what God had taught them, I'm telling you, God's going to indwell you and he's going to lift you up in those moments. And this is an incredible promise that, like you said, we can just zip right past. Mm -hmm. um, but we should take great comfort in that. We're forgetful creatures. Yeah. I, I looked all through the New Testament. Um, uh, it's Peter, Paul, and Jude have the explicit command, remember, I remind you therefore. Mm -hmm. um, and then all the letters have some kind of implicit, remember this? Do you remember this teaching? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, we, he, he's, uh, he's helping us. Yeah. Here. I, I think, think the, we talked ahead. a little bit last week, and John Owen talks about this as well, the, that the first advocate is advocating before the Father, the second advocate is advocating to us. Mm -hmm. And what does he advocate with? He advocates with truth, and he advocates the teaching of Jesus and the life of Jesus for us on our behalf. And so he's constantly pleading to us the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did on our behalf, the, the good news that Jesus is at the Father's side interceding for us. And, and, and what does he always use? He always uses truth. He always uses the word of, of Christ, the, the word of God to do that. And so I think it's not only an assurance of a person, the person of the Holy Spirit coming, it's not only assurance of the teaching of the Holy Spirit, it, it's an assurance that we can know what he's teaching. We mm -hmm. can verify what he's teaching. It's not just something I ate last night. Mm -hmm. It's not just put my finger in the wind and try to figure out where's the spirit leading. I have the truth of God's word mm -hmm. right here. And that's what I dwell in and allow to dwell in richly because this is where he's going to guide me and teach me. Yeah. He's going to correct and sin, confront, 
He's going to remind me of righteousness, remind me of the no, no condemnation that, that's in Christ Jesus, yeah. all from the Word. Yeah, and that remembrance is powerful because Jesus said it at least three times now. If you go back to chapter 13, he says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place. You go back earlier in chapter 14, I'm telling you these things so you'll remember. <laughs> and then at the end of this, I'm telling you this again before I leave so you'll remember. So again, there's that, that powerful picture that Jesus is laying a foundation. He knows chaos is before them, but on the flip side of that, they're going to remember these things and it's going to become the foundation of it. That, that's the promise of what's going to happen, but there's a reason for it too. And yeah. I think that's what these next verses get into yeah. so that they don't live just with a sense of intelligence, but mm -hmm. that it gives them a sense of peace as they walk through that. So, so you said it at the beginning. I think that this whole text, 25 to 31, uh, really the whole, the whole of 14 is a reminder of the assurances or the gifts that God, Jesus is giving to his disciples before he leaves. One is the Holy Spirit and the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. And two is the peace that Jesus is leaving them. And we think about the context, the disciples are troubled, stirred up, agitated in soul and spirit and emotions. And Jesus says something profound. I'm leaving you with peace. And, and he says in this verse, I think two, two big things. One is what he's leaving them and how he's leaving them, leaving it to them. So what he's leaving is is peace. That's verse 27, right? Right. Can the, I read that for us? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So I think he's giving a profound second promise or gift, and that's the peace yeah. of Christ. So what is he giving? What is the peace of Christ? I think it's qualitative and quantitative. Qualitative in that it's, it's complete, it's not lacking, it's full, it's robust, it's absolute peace with God. That's what the peace of Christ is. It, he has the perfect, rock-solid assurance of the acceptance of the Father. Mm -hmm. He is the beloved Son. There is no doubt and no wavering on that. He knows that without a shadow of doubt, and that's what he's leaving them. Mm -hmm. But it's also qualitative, it's qualitative, but it's also quantitative, meaning it's never ending. It's, it can't be lost. It's permanent. Mm -hmm. It's forever. That is what he's leaving them, and I think that the how is the leaving them. That's inheritance language. Yeah. Yeah. You, don't, you don't get an inheritance without death. So he's, he's going to die, and it's through his death that they get the blessing, the, the gift of peace with God. Mm -hmm. and, and this, for practical practical purposes. We cannot have the peace of God, the peace in this world, the peace of mind and heart without peace with God. And I think we were talking this week, how many people look for peace in so many horizontal earthly treasures? Yeah. <clears throat> and what are, what, is the, what, are those, what are those lead to? They lead to emptiness. They don't satisfy the law of diminishing returns. We want more and more, need more and more of those things to give us peace. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you something not like the world, not like the world gives, not of the world. It's not conditional. It's not temporary. It's not empty. It's not hollow. It's all satisfying, perfect acceptance before the yeah. God of creation. Yeah. That is a profound 
gift. And I think it is the emphasis there is gift. Because yeah. uh, every piece in the world is something you earn. Mm-hmm. You, you go and earn the riches that give you, you think is going to give you a sense of peace. Or kings or rulers go and conquer nations to say, well, I'm going to give you peace. But I think it's pretty amazing right here. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to get this peace to come to you. You can't be better. You can't be more righteous. You can't learn more, no more. It is a gift that's given. And so people say, well, how do I find peace in my life? Everybody can have it. According to this verse, every single person can have it. Yeah. It's a matter of finding in the person of Jesus and not finding in the traditional ways that humans have so uh, sought after it in, in life. And this, this is so important too. You're saying it's as a gift <clears throat> and it's an unconditional gift. So the peace that we receive from the world is conditioned. It's conditioned on your performance, and it's conditioned on some kind of level of sustainment, right? So if I want financial peace, not like the university, but I I want just a peace of mind that I have wealth and it's there, I have to earn it, so it's conditioned on my performance. And then the economy has to stay rock solid, which is conditioned on everybody else's performance. But what happens when there's a novel virus that comes and portfolios go crashing through the floor, right? And the same thing with relationships. If I want peace in a relationship, it's conditioned on my input and that person's input. Um, <clears throat> and this here. is based on what he does. Yeah, this is unconditional yeah. uh, uh, peace. It's or so even one that strange. said that this was during the time of the Pax Romana. Yeah, so the, the funny thing is, like, uh, we're, we're not aware of this, you know, reading it the 21st century, but... Um, historians call this period of time, they're right in the middle of the Pax Romana. Mm-hmm. So this was so-called peace throughout the Roman Empire that began, you know, a few decades before and will end a century or so later from this time this conversation's happening, which is ironic because the peace, that's what Pax mean, the peace of Rome comes through what? Death, destruction, and conquering. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, look, the world, the, give, the, the peace that the world gives, the so-called Pax Romana, uh, comes through subjugation, oppression, and, and corruption, and conquering. The peace that I'm going to give you, like the Pax Christi or Pax Deo, or whatever you want to call it, comes through being conquered, right? It, it comes through being oppressed, which is what he's about to experience. Well, it, and it comes not through his crushing power, right? but by his being crushed on our behalf. Right, right. And that's so radically opposite. I think there's also something else here. You know, think about the meta-narrative of the Bible, the beginning to the end. What happened in the fall? We were alienated from God. We were alienated within. We were instantly covered in, in, in a sea of shame and guilt. And then we were alienated without. We were alienated from mm-hmm. one another. And what is the peace that Jesus offers? It's peace with God. It's peace within. And it's peace with one another. Paul says it's through the peace, it's through the blood of Christ that we are reconciled to one another. And, and, and so he's, it's a comprehensive peace. It's, again, it's not hollow. Uh, it's not empty. It's not shallow. And I think for those reasons, he can go to the next statement. Mm-hmm. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled. Because you have something. You have a resource within you that is infinitely beyond anything this world could offer you. Any relationship, any portfolio, any success, any failure, any catastrophe, is a rock-solid anchor in the midst of any storm. Mm-hmm. I think that's how Hebrews, Hebrews talks about it. And again, how is it accomplished or received or experienced? It's through, Paul says in Colossians 1.20, the blood of Christ, mm-hmm. the blood of the cross. And so for these reasons, I think Paul, this is why Paul prays, Colossians 3.15, uh, that the peace of Christ would rule in your hearts, 
Philippians 4, 7, that it would guard our hearts and our minds. And what's the connection piece? How do we, ex- how do we know that we have it? Paul says, by allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you mm-hmm. richly. And who teaches us the word of Christ? <laughs> the Holy Spirit. So yeah. I think it's, it's bringing all of these things together. Your favorite uh, theologian, Augustine, uh, says that, yeah, no, no, that's right, Augustine. Uh, he I, have says, a, I have a solution for this, by the way. Oh, so, so a friend <clears throat> tweeted me, and he said that, you know, I call him Lil Augie, uh, A-U-G-Y, so if we want to call him Lil Augie. Lil Augie, that, okay. That, that fixes it all. That does, because it cuts <laughs> out the correct spelling versus the incorrect spelling. That's right. Uh, he says our hearts are restless until they rest in Christ. Yeah. Uh, until they rest in him. And so we're going to constantly be pursuing emptiness, Ecclesiastes chasing after the wind, unless and until we find it in Christ. Uh, And and so I think he's giving them this gift, this reassurance, this peace, right before he leaves, so that they know and they're reminded, who's going to remind them, the Holy Spirit, after and in the storm, of his departure and his death. So I think it's so important and so such a practical um, uh, text for us and an ongoing uh, text that we have to constantly appropriate and dwell on uh, and, and plead for. Yeah. And Jesus is walking into his darkest hour. And what's amazing is he's more concerned about their peace. Yeah. And it's a peace that he has walking into this darkness, and yet he's concerned about the way they're going to see it and the way they're going to experience it as he walks through it. That's pretty amazing. It shows you the peace that he has. And I think that's important for us to understand that when we have peace and we walk in that peace of Christ, we are more able to focus on people's needs and the kingdom of God around us and, and furthering that instead of worrying about our own little worlds and how they may cave in or God's going to fail us yeah. or he's not going to come through. When we experience that peace, it really does allow us to take the focus off of ourselves and then begin to look outside of us. And I think Jesus demonstrates that, that models that for us I th- here. I think another way of saying that is our identity or, or our gospel-centered identity. When it's rooted in the acceptance you said a couple of weeks ago of our understanding that we are beloved children of God. When we know that, we're free. We're absolutely free from trying to squeeze love out of the other person mm-hmm. or try to squeeze love out of a job or a success or a thing or, or, or my children. When we're, when we're rooted in and understand, and that doesn't happen one time. That happens as we continually appropriate the gospel in our, in our hearts and our lives. When, when we're rooted in that peace and that identity, we're free from trying to squeeze out of other people and other things this meaning, purpose, identity, and hope. And that is, that's a freedom that the world does not know. Mm-hmm. That's the freedom the world is longing for. And that's the freedom we get to, to preach and proclaim and, and share with the, with the longing world. So, so, Kyle, you mentioned something this week, verse 28, sometimes um, uh, mis- misinterpreted. Uh, it says, you heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. Uh, if, you love, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. How is that misinterpreted? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there, so when you come across a passage like 
the Father is greater than I, the first thing we jump to is, okay, so there's Jesus, and then there's a level above Jesus, right? So well, I think we talked about last week, like you have like the, the, the three levels of the Godhead. You have the Father's in gold, and the Son is silver, and the Holy Spirit's bronze, right? And that's not what we mean at all. And, and so some people come to this passage, and they'll use it as a proof text if they're trying to make the point that they believe Jesus was created, even though he's like a really great creation. He's not God. Uh, in the ancient church, this was called Arianism, and they dealt with this. And today it's present in like Jehovah's Witness movements. And uh, this is one of the, the texts that they'll constantly go to, to try to prove like, look, Jesus is not divine. Um, but what we're seeing here is, uh, according to little Augie, <laughs> was Augustine, um, what we're seeing here is what John's trying to communicate all throughout his gospel through the words of Jesus, that Jesus is one person with two divine nat or two divine natures, that's heresy, one person with two natures, right? So he has a divine nature and he has a human nature. So his divine nature, John 1, 1, the word was with God, the word was God. And his human nature, verse 14, the word tabernacle dwelt, he, he became human. And so you see back and forth all throughout John's gospel, statements where Jesus will say, you know, uh, before Abraham was, I am claiming divinity. But then you have other statements like here, where Jesus is saying the Father is greater than I. So what are we supposed to, to make with that? I think it's really important um, if you're presented with that question is some people in the church have texted me or called me, emailed me, say, hey, I had Jehovah's Witnesses come. They, they brought this up. What do, I, what do I say? We've already seen Jesus use this term greater in this teaching, right? It was right before when we were talking about works. So when Jesus goes away, he says that the, the disciples' works are going to be greater. What we determined was not that they were going to do more awesome things than Jesus was going to do, but that Jesus was going to be magnified through the works of the disciples. And one of the questions I would ask a modern Arian, like a Jehovah's Witness, is, is Jesus saying that the works that I'm going to do are better than the works that Jesus did? And of course, they're going to shove away. No, no, of course not. Okay, well, then why do we assume Jesus is essentially saying the Father is better than me? And the right way to understand this is that just like, our, that just like Christ is magnified through our works, that the Father is magnified through Christ, and that Christ is magnified through the Father. So he's not making some kind of statement that the Father is superior, like Jesus is this created thing, but... Uh, sub, subsidiary to the Father. What he's saying is, in relation to his first use of this word, that the Father is greater than I, that everything I'm going to do and everything in my life has been about the purpose of his will, and he's about to be magnified through the, the final work that, that I'm giving. So it's not talking about Jesus is the silver medal part of God, right? Mm. We're still talking about works in the context of um, what is the role that God is, what is the action that God is doing in the world? Yeah. I heard it said that it really focuses on will, and it would mm -hmm. be uh, similar, the illustration would be like the governor of our state um, has authority over me, but she's not more human than I am. 
but yet she can say things and I have to follow into those things because her will or her authority supersedes mine. And in essence, this is what Jesus is saying is that the father's will is what is overarching here. It's not his own desires, what he wants to see happen, what he's going to do. It's the father's will that's controlling everything and guiding everything. And in essence, that's what um, that greater aspect is. Is there any bearing on that? Yeah, I think so, because uh, Jesus has told us countless times, I didn't come here to do my own will. I'm coming to do what the Father has told me to do. I don't, I only do what the, what I see the Father doing, right? So Jesus is playing a role, um, but he's not, he's not in essence or being less, lesser than the Father. And that's really important um, because, again, you have to keep the first part of John in mind when you're reading the whole gospel. John says that Jesus is the word. He was with God and is God. Mm-hmm. It's really important. So he's both, right? He's, he's his own person, but he is also of the same being or substance or essence of God. Now, uh, what will happen, though, is if you use that kind of a verse in a discussion with like a Jehovah's Witness, uh, this, the, the, the solution for them is to tweak the Greek. So they just change that passage, not from the word was God, but the word was a God, which you, you can't do that. You're just breaking grammatical rules at that point. The conversation's not worth having. Um, but uh, for, for us and for our sake and for edification, like what is Jesus saying here? Uh, he's, he's showing us, he's, he's, he's telling us essentially what's about to happen, that he's subjecting his own will to the fathers through obedience even to the point of death, which what Paul which famously will, tells, which will magnify him, yeah. right? And then you get that greater works or that greatness, because his perfect obedience is acceptable before the Father, yeah. and ours is not. And he's, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a. Again, you said it, an assurance. I'm going to the Father. I'm departing, and it's, it should be rejoiced over. It should, it's to your joy, it's to your benefit. He's going to say that later. And 16, it's to your benefit that I go, not mm-hmm. simply so that the Holy Spirit will come, but also so this peace will come, the peace mm-hmm. with God. And so I am submitting my authority and power, and I'm being crushed on your behalf, and it will result in magnifying and glorifying the Father. Mm-hmm. And it's for your benefit. Mm-hmm. It's for your joy. It's for your peace. It's for your right relationship with the Father. And so rejoice in this. And again, how will we rejoice in it? How will we know to rejoice in it? Only because the Holy Spirit comes to us to, to yeah. teach us to, to do that. And he, he goes into that in the rest of the passage, really, 29 through, uh, mm-hmm. well, at least, to, yeah, yeah, 30, 29 to 31. Um, let me read that for us. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. Yeah, and 29 obviously is a continuation from what we were just talking about there. Mm -hmm. And now I've told you before it takes place. So again, we see that same language again. Um, So that when it does take place, you may believe. So that's the purpose of him telling, is that later on the Holy Spirit is going to enact the power of those statements and those are going to become the essence of their belief. In other words, they're going to see it. They're going to be remember these things, and it's going to become the foundation of why they believe. And he but, says it uh, says that exact statement again uh, previously, right before Judas betrayed yes. him. Mm-hmm. So before he's betrayed, and before 
He goes to the cross. Goes to the cross. He he says something to them to give them assurance and confidence. Yeah. And uh, and then he begins to kind of highlight the fact that there is going to be this separation. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to talk much more with you because from this point, I mean, they're literally we get to the end of this passage. Let us rise up and go from here. It's hard for us to believe, but the last two chapters have been all in the upper yeah. room. I mean, there's literally Judas has just left however many minutes ago and he's had these conversations and given all this incredible theology and, and this practicality of belief and how we live this out. And now he's coming to this. So he's moments away from being arrested and then hours away from crucifixion mm -hmm. at this point. And he's reminding them, I think, that when this chaos ensues, the belief is going to be Satan is in control. And I've even heard, you hear this in songs. I think there's, obviously we have to be careful with, with worship music because there is bad theology sometimes in that. And sometimes we will paint the picture that Satan is having his heyday at the point of the cross, that he's winning, mm -hmm. that, um, that he is in control. And Jesus says he's not in control. He's coming, but I want you to let, let you know, he's not in the least bit control. The Father's will, which we just talked about right there, yeah. It's in control, fully in control. And I want you to understand that, that in the darkest moment of my life, what is right before me, I have complete peace. Not only do I have so much peace, it overflows, and I'm concerned about you having peace. And mm -hmm. I want to extend that to you. And it's dark. Why can he say that with such assurance? Because the Father's in control. Mm -hmm. The Father's in control. Not and I think that's off guard, not, not blindsided, not surprised. I mean, go down the adjectives. He's not... not concerned at this moment. Yes. This is actually a part of his plan yeah. and, a, and a, a part of his will. And this is, I think, the same reiteration he said with Judas. Uh, when Judas departs, don't be surprised, don't be alarmed. Things are going according to plan. And, and what's interesting is, is Mark says in, in his account that Judas was coming to, to take Jesus, and John says the ruler of this world. Yeah. And I think John is trying to reiterate that Judas is simply a tool and that even the ruler of this world still has no authority over, over Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of what's being said here, and he's not surprised. I mean, in a sense, even the ruler of the world is a tool. It's yeah. an instrument. He's an instrument being used to accomplish God's, God's will. I yeah. mean, the ruler of the world thinks he's about to win a, a battle, right? And so when I read this, the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me. Like, I can't help but wonder if there wasn't a smirk because <laughs> Jesus knows how the story ends, right? The ruler of this world is coming to conquer, but is only going to be usurped three days later. So it, And how? By his rising. By his rising, but yeah. through resurrection. So don't worry. Like, this is going to be painful. He has no idea what he's doing. He has no clue what, what, because his hatred is in his anger and his derision towards God is driving him uh, to a place where he is actually more controllable than he wouldn't be if he wasn't in, in, in obedience, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it, it's all a part of the plan. It doesn't mean that Jesus is like sitting there stoically, you know, you know looking, looking forward uh, outside of joy to the cross of being like, ah, this isn't going to be a big deal. Don't worry about it. I'll be back in three days, so don't go anywhere. This is a painful experience that he's going to go. He's going to die, right? Uh, but because he's walking through this dark valley of death, um, he knows uh, that there isn't, that Psalm, you know, 23, <laughs> uh, 
has an end to it, which is there's life mm -hmm. in the midst of this dark valley. Yeah. So you, Christianity is that paradox, isn't it, of, of joy in darkness. And, and your reference to Psalm 23 reminds me, there's a, there's a verse in there, I think it's verse 5, where he says he prepares a table for yeah. me in the midst of my enemies. And the, vis the visual picture there is like eating dinner at a banquet table, though all the war around me yeah. ensues. You don't eat in peace with a war around you unless you're at peace. And I think that's the promise mm -hmm. that he's giving here. In another verse, I think it's Isaiah 26, 3, that he keeps us, those who trust in him, he keeps us at peace. Why? Because our focus, our attention, our our minds are mm -hmm. stayed on the one who is in control. And so I think that's the promise of the entire text over and over again is I have something the world does not have. I have the full assurance of the Father, the full assurance of acceptance before him, the full assurance of right relationship as the beloved son. And I'm offering that to you. I'm leaving that with you. You have that as my followers, as my disciples. Mm -hmm. That is yours. And you can sit at peace, though the world is in chaos, mm -hmm. though the, the, the mountains slide into the sea, though everything around you crumbles. And, and man, what, again, we wrestled with, do we stop our study through John temporarily during this time and, 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 and focus on specific, you know, maybe verses related to anxiety and fear and trusting God during all this? And we're like, why? <laughs> John 14, he's telling us in the word that he is giving us peace, though the world is crumbling about us. Doesn't mean it's not anxiety-ridden. Doesn't mean that we don't feel feelings and have emotions during this. But we have something that the world does not. And it is not ever at, at one moment supposed to be contained only within us. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to rejoice in that and share that. And the world will take notice at that peace what's wrong with that person? They're not losing their head because I have something that, that you don't have. I have something mm -hmm. that the world doesn't offer. Mm -hmm. uh, so how do we understand know. that in relation to the love of the Father? Because he says there towards the end um, that he has no claim on me, talking about the enemy, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Now I found that interesting because right before that he said, if you, if you had loved me, you would have rejoiced. What, what, what connection do we, how do we understand that? I think it's been clear throughout the gospel that the Father loves the Son. Um, what's, what's unclear, because we don't have that, that climactic evidence, is does the Son love the Father? Mm -hmm. We know he does, but this is going to be, the, the love of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father is essentially the core of redemption. And we're about to see that that core manifests itself uh, to the whole world. Um, and, and how? It's through his perfect obedience yeah, to yeah. the point of death. Right. That's how we know. And, and bringing it full circle to the text we talked about last week, how do we know the followers of Christ by your obedience? Mm -hmm. Now, we don't, we don't obey to get something. We obey out of an overflow from something. Right. But that's what we're, we're seeing here in Jesus, and I think that's what is being said, so that the world will know and I am the Father. Mm -hmm. I will die, I will go to the cross in perfect obedience, and the world will know of my perfect love. Yeah, and I think, uh, so if I connect those two back together, 
Uh, if you had loved me, going back up to verse 28, if, if you had loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. And then he says there, so that the world may know that I love the Father. You know, is it stretched to say that what Jesus is saying is there, as he walks into this dark hour, he rejoices. He doesn't walk well, into it with great fear. He yeah. rejoices in what he is called to do and the part that he is going to play mm -hmm. in the redemption of humanity. And I think that's powerful because it is about perspective when you walk through difficult times. Mm -hmm. And as you walk in that difficult, you don't have to be overwhelmed by it. You can actually rejoice in the midst of difficulty. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the, the peace that he talks about here becomes the foundation of our joy. Mm -hmm. And the joy, uh, I like that old illustration. It's old, but I mean, it's good. I guess why it sticks around is the difference in the thermometer and thermostat is a thermometer just registers the conditions of thermostat controls them. Mm -hmm. So we have thermostats inside our houses so that it's always 72 degrees, no matter what's happening outside. And joy is like that for us, for the Christian. It says, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world, what's happening outside. I can always have this relationship with God. I can always have this love with God. I can demonstrate this love to God because of the assurances that we've been given. Assurance after assurance after assurance. That's what we've seen over and over again. He's telling them, I'm going to leave. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send this. It's a guarantee. It's going to show you the way. You're going to make it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you. I mean, there's Here's oh, the gifts. over and over again. Yes. And it's so to the point that we have to, when we walk through those difficult times, understand that those are there for our assurances to understand that it's not falling apart, that God is in control, that Satan hasn't overcome our lives. When we've lost our jobs, when we can't figure out how we're going to pay the mortgage, when we can't figure out, you know, how we're going to put our life back together after losing everything, it may seem like, you know, the enemy has won, but the assurances are, the enemy has no control. Mm -hmm. I have complete control. I'm going to walk through this. I'm your provision. I am your assurances. I mean, is that not, so, I was like what you're saying, is that not so pertinent for what so many people are walking through today? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Psalm, Psalm 77 is a profound Psalm. The psalmist is despairing of his relationship with God. God, have you forgotten me? God, I don't even know if I can on my, he says, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And then how does he work his way out of that depression, that anxiety, that, that crushing dread? He says in verse 10, Then I said, I will appeal to, to the, this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. How does he work his way out of despondency? It's, it's not by work, his effort, it's by f reflecting on God's word. Remembering. Mm -hmm. Remembering. It's like what we said earlier. All that yeah. God has done in the past, I, therefore I have hope in the present. Yeah. And I, I think, again, remembering all that Jesus did on the cross, all that Jesus is for us right now before the Father, all that Jesus does for us, all the Holy Spirit is working in us. Uh, and, and who is the reminder? Who is the person? Who is the teacher? Is the Holy Spirit doing that? What's he using? I just went to Psalm 7. He's using the word. Uh, and so, uh, again, this assurance over and over again, this peace, these gifts that we're given in the midst of chaos, yeah. uh, we, we're not alone. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so I, I was texting somebody yesterday who lost their mother this, this past weekend and, and just and praying that the peace of Christ would rule and would guard their minds and their heart uh, and, and reminding of, of the scriptures that he's near to the brokenhearted. He's, he's near to us. Uh, he, he comes and he comforts the brokenhearted. 
And, and again, if we're going to the Word to, to remember that. Yeah, it's very good. Well, I think there's a lot of powerful things that we can look at and um, really take to heart. I would challenge all of you to reflect on these things, not only yourself, but with the people that you're with. Um, I mean, things are changing a little bit. Maybe you're at the beach now because they've opened up this past week. So we've gone from front porches, houses now, maybe to the beach. Um, but wherever you are, to stop and reflect on these things because these are assurances that you've been given. And you know, the one temptation we all have is, I want to get back to normal as fast as possible. But wait, what does God have for you in this? What does he want you to think about? What does he want you to trust him? How does he want you to understand his faithfulness, maybe in this dark time that you're walking through? Jesus is literally about to walk into the darkest hour, and yet he says, I rejoice. How can we rejoice in our darkest hour? How can we rejoice in the times where there's chaos in our life? I think these passages hold the key for our understanding, and the key to understanding it is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to understand from this, what you need to embrace, and what you need to live out. And I promise you, because Jesus did all of this so that it would be afforded to us, the Holy Spirit will lead you into that truth. He will lead you into that understanding, and it will cause you to rejoice in the midst of whatever trials or tribulations or chaos you may find yourself in. So I hope you feel encouraged through that today. Um, we want to obviously end our time praying, and I hope that you will spend some time praying with your family or whoever you are with, even at this time of however this hits you or whatever you may be going through personally. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the assurances that you give to us, and it reminds us that you are in control, that your promises are the foundation of everything that we believe, and not only what we believe, but what we practice. Our belief leads us into this understanding and this relationship with you, but that relationship then empowers us to live out these truths in our lives. How have we neglected that? Holy Spirit, convict our hearts, show us the way, give us the path so that we may know that we are living according to the will that you have for us so that we may rejoice no matter what circumstances we may find ourselves in. And so that we may be the ones who carry this truth in our generation and pass it on to the next as well. Lord, I know there are so many who are hurting today. Lord, I pray that you would comfort their hearts and give them a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I pray that you would help them to rejoice. I pray that you would show them that you are their provision, that there's nothing in this life that will give us the security that we need outside of a relationship with you. And so, God, may we focus on the things that are the most important, and may we rejoice and highlight those in our life. And may those become the foundation for our feet during a very shaky time. And Lord, we again ask you, Holy Spirit, to enlighten our minds to not only understand this, but to live it out and deepen us in our understanding and deepen us in our commitment to live for the kingdom and to extend it in our day and time in the influences and places of influence that you've given to each one of us. For those who may be hearing this who are not followers of Jesus, Holy Spirit, convict their hearts so that today may be the day of their salvation. Lord, all it takes is for them to get on their knees, to just confess that you are Lord and to believe in their hearts that you've raised Jesus from the dead and that he can become the savior and the owner of their life. 
God, that begins this incredible renewal and this incredible relationship with you. I pray that today in homes or beaches or front porches, wherever people may be, that that could happen in those who are struggling to understand that today may be the day that they come to know you and believe in the name of Jesus. God, again, we thank you for the truths you've given to us. And we pray that as we leave this place, pray that you would give us this idea and this assurance that you are in control and that you go before us. We ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and may he give you his peace.